0: Standard fair that at the end of every year you kind of do a uh, a look back and a checkup to see how things went and what you did what got accomplished what didn't get accomplished what was on your list uh, what was the priority in your life uh, much wiser people than I have uh, said in the past that all you have to do is look at your calendar and your checkbook uh, or your online bank account to know what your priorities are uh, a, a quick look maybe through uh, your own mind, uh, kind of rifling through uh, the, the memories that you seem to stand out for your life in 2018, uh, maybe set uh, a precedence as to… Uh, they set a, a stage for you as to, well, this is what I lived for. And, and this morning, uh, I want to take you over to the book of Acts chapter 10, and I want to address the idea, not necessarily about maybe what we lived for in 2018 that maybe it was low-bar stuff and it's time for us to move on to something better. Uh, But what if we were to look into 2019 and we were to live for the supernatural? Uh, What if we decided that, that we wanted to be taken a hold of by what God has in store for you as an individual, maybe your entire family, for us as the congregation on mission here in this community? so that more and more that the city of man would begin to look like the city of God. Uh, So that more and more that people that are disconnected and de-churched and unchurched and never-churched, that neighbors and people that surround us day by day, that that they would see a witness within our lives that we're not just living for the same priorities that everybody else lives for, that we're not just chasing this and that and the other, the things that moth and rust are, are going to take away from us eventually but rather we decided uh, that we wanted to set our sails and catch the wind, as it were, of the supernatural. I want to speak specifically this morning about the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, who God is in, in His Trinitarian form of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. What is it that God the Holy Spirit might be up to? What is it that He did that we can see a witness of, within the Scriptures, and how might we understand what He is longing to do in our own lives. Uh, There is this one particular place in the book of Acts chapter 10 where, of course, by this point, Jesus has had His ministry on the earth. He has died. He has resurrected. He has shown Himself to the early disciples for a period of time, and then He ascended back to heaven, and He ascended with the promise that the Holy Spirit would come upon them. And this was a a revolutionary idea. This was a radical idea because for these first century Jews who had the Hebrew Scriptures, what we refer to as the Old Testament, they knew about the Holy Spirit. They were very well aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit, that He was a, a member of the Trinity of the Godhead. But throughout the Old Testament, you would see this phrase that would happen periodically that the Spirit of God came upon and they would name an individual person. The idea that the Holy Spirit was going to come upon them in mass was new and different for them because they knew it as the Holy Spirit would come upon a king or a judge or a prophet or an individual person. That was often their concept of how the Holy Spirit would operate on the terrestrial world. And now Jesus, their Savior, who has died and is risen again, is telling this vagabond group of uh, kind of just this motley crew that if you'll wait here, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon all of you with great power. Now, they had already seen the witness of the Spirit descending upon Jesus at His baptism. And, and so the Spirit descends upon the early church. Now, uh, miraculous things happen. Uh, there are thousands of people that are saved because of the witness that happens. We'll get back to that in a moment. And as we watch the disciples move through the book of Acts and the birth of the church happens, there comes a tipping point where all of the Jewish believers have to once again be convinced that people that are not Jewish, the Gentiles, I'm one of those, I think most of us are, uh, that they are also going to receive the gospel and receive the opportunity of salvation, that this message of the gospel is for the whole world, it's for every kind of person. And very in particular, it would seem that Simon Peter, one of the uh, first twelve apostles, is having a particular problem with this. Simon Peter struggled through the idea, we watch it happen throughout the New Testament, of people of non-Jewish lineage being included into the, into the church. And so, in Acts chapter 10, if you read the entire story, uh, Simon Peter is given a very specific vision from God to go and visit a man by the name of Cornelius, who is a Gentile, in order to carry the gospel to him. Simultaneously, uh, an angel has appeared to Cornelius. He has been granted a vision that a man is going to come and bring him the hope that is from God as well. And so Peter visits Cornelius, and he takes the good news to him, uh, signifying once again for all of us that the good news of Jesus Christ's death, burial, resurrection on behalf of our sins is for everybody... And in the middle of, of Peter delivering the message to Cornelius, he, there are two particular verses I want to point you to, uh, verses 37 and 38, that I think have a particular usefulness for us as we look into 2019 as to whether or not we're going to decide if we're going to chase after the supernatural or we're going to continue just to kind of chase after the mundane. It says here in Acts 10, verse 37... You know the events that took place throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John preached. He's talking about John the Baptist. And he says how, and then he gives this this kind of uh, narrative, kind of overview very quickly of the entire ministry of Jesus. He says in verse 38 how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. Uh, the, the first thing I, I want you to see out of this, uh, this idea of us living for the supernatural is that we need to be a people who are watching Jesus. If, if you want a, a year ahead that's going to be different from the years behind you, the very first thing we've got to do is watch Jesus. Now, that sounds so elementary. It seems so predictable. It seems like something that we'd say to the first and the second graders in Sunday school. You know, boys and girls, we need to watch Jesus. Uh, but I, I remain utterly convinced that for us to actually be disciples of Jesus, we've got to pay attention to what Jesus did and who Jesus was and, and how he interacted with the Father. Too often times we kind of gloss over and we just want to move to the moralism. We just, want to do, we just want to move to the, to the check boxes of what is it that I'm supposed to do and not supposed to do. But we need to be a people who watch exactly what happened in Jesus' life. And the first thing that we see here about Jesus as Peter summarizes Jesus' ministry is that he was anointed. and said that God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. And the Holy Spirit and power... Always go together. When you get the Holy Spirit, you get power. And if you need spiritual power, that means you need the Holy Spirit. Jesus never intended during His, his earthly life to live by the power of the natural realm. That is what the temptations were. At the very beginning of Jesus' adult ministry, when Satan came to him after Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and, and the tempter, the adversary, came to him, he tempted him with power out of the natural realm. He tempted him with the idea of getting everybody in the world to bow down to him. So if you want power, then you need the Spirit. And if you've got the Spirit, then you will have power. The good thing for us as believers is that the Bible promises that the moment that you come become a Christian, that you are filled, you are anointed by the Holy Spirit, that He comes and He indwells you. He takes up residence in your life. He seals your salvation to the day that is promised by God. And, and He is busy doing all sorts of formative work inside of your life. And so when we operate without spiritual power, it's because we're ignoring the very presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So when you find yourself feeling powerless be reminded that at the moment of your salvation you were filled by the Holy Spirit you were indwelt by the Holy Spirit Jesus operated by the anointing of the Holy Spirit that was on his life. He did not want to operate with human power. He didn't want to be a politician. He didn't want to be a captain of industry. He didn't need to be a wealthy man. He didn't need to start a nonprofit organization. He didn't need to do any of these things because Jesus was operating by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And we chase after so many different things that we think will give us leverage points in the world in order to make our lives easier or better or more comfortable. And oftentimes, we completely forget, oh, I could just sit here and and enjoy the anointing of the Holy Spirit in my life. So he was anointed. What did this anointing do? Well, it made him active. If you look there again, I think that this is a small detail, but an important detail. It says there in verse 38 how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about. Now, I I know I just kind of stop it kind of haltingly right there in the middle of the phrase, but Jesus was not somebody who just sat around. He was not just waiting for people to show up. What we see within the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation is that God is a sender, and that Jesus, on His earthly mission, is living sent. He is not living sedentary. He's not not found his spiritual lazy boy recliner that he has set up somewhere in Jerusalem, and he's just waiting for people, to throngs of people to gather around him. Now, granted, at times we see throngs of people coming to Jesus, but we we see Jesus active in people's lives. The activity of Jesus is a byproduct of the Spirit-led mission that he's on. And he stayed on the move in order to get to us, to get to you. Jesus is still active. He's still got his spirit active in the world today. And so Jesus is busy during his earthly ministry. So he's anointed, he's active. Thirdly, I think what we see generous is that he's generous. It says Jesus went about doing good. He is delivering for us our needs. Now, this is not just the do-gooding of the Red Cross or UNICEF or whatever your favorite disaster relief organization might be. But rather, when uh, Luke, who is the author of Acts here, is recording this from the lips of Peter, and so we believe that this is all the authoritative Word of God, that this is infallible and intentional, the Word here is not just he was nice to his neighbor, kind of doing good. But rather, the Greek language that is used here is the same that you would use of a beneficent king. He was the benefactor who had sovereign power. And so he had all the power, and he had none of the weaknesses. Now, here, what we see is is Jesus in his kingly authority as the owner of all things, being a benefactor to people who have nothing. The king shows off his generosity to those that he is ruling. It reminds me of Jesus' own words at the beginning of his ministry in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, where it says, After John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God... And this is what he says. If you want to know Jesus' definition of the good news of God, here it is. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. He defines it as the good news is that the kingdom of God has arrived. And he could say that because he's the king. He's the one who's got all the power. And so Jesus is anointed by the Holy Spirit, and he is anointed with power from on high, and he goes about doing good as a king who has all the possessions of the universe. He is the very presence of the kingdom of God that breaks into human history and into human existence, carrying the benefits of the rightful king to those who are in need of deliverance. So he's anointed, he's active, he's generous. And then we also see that He's focused. He's focused on salvation. It says that He went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil. Jesus is busy delivering and saving those who are spiritually enslaved. One of my favorite uh, nativity passages that is not a nativity passage but is a part of the Incarnation is found in 1 John chapter 3... Uh, Just a couple of weeks ago on a Wednesday night when I was speaking to our student ministry, I used this passage to talk to them about the arrival of Jesus and how it says that Jesus appeared in order to destroy the works of the devil. I mean, we think about Jesus at Christmas time as a six-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus lying in a manger, porcelain doll, plasticized figure, arms flailed out, always like he's surprised at something. I mean, Jesus is always startled in every manger. And... He's cold. Cover that baby up. Um, But in John's first letter, he tells us that Jesus has arrived as the destroyer. He has come to destroy things that are destroying you. And the arrival of the kingdom is the arrival of the Savior, and the Savior has come as a holy warrior in order to deliver you from what it describes as the tyranny of of the devil not the not the beneficial lordship of the devil not the i'm here to give you a good time kind of leader but he says of the tyranny of the devil of the adversary of the accuser of the one who is a murderer and a liar from the beginning and Jesus is anointed and he is active and he is generous and he is focused on our salvation Our good friend Dennis Pethers, who preached here earlier this year, he says that the crisis in the church isn't the lack of people attending, it's the lack of believers sharing Christ with those who do not attend. It is a great statement to remind us that we need to be following Jesus if he's anointed with power and he's active and he's generous and he's busy trying to deliver those that are under the tyranny of the devil, this is the same place that we ought to be in. This is the same lane that we ought to be in. He could do these things and he was focused on these things because it says there at the end of verse 38, because God was With him. So, are we ready to live in this same lane? Are we ready to set our sails to catch the same wind? Or are we ready in order to live for the supernatural working and power that Jesus holds within Him and the Spirit that He promises to us? Are we ready for that? My guess is you are. Uh, My guess is you want that. You desire that. You want to live in the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. So how about instead of just watching Jesus, let's take the next step and let's do some work of joining with Jesus. Uh, Let's decide that what Jesus does is what we want to do, that what Jesus is busy doing, we want to jump in the middle of that that if Jesus was operating in the normal, natural realm of life with the anointing of the spirit and the anointing of power from on high that he was active that he went about doing good and, and that God has called us to be ambassadors for him is what it says in 2 Corinthians and, and that Jesus was busy delivering people out of the tyranny of the devil and God has called us to do this same work of making disciples of all nations baptizing them in the, na- in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all the things that Jesus has commanded if this is what he's called us to do, then let's join him. But in order for us to join him, we're going to need the same power, because you and I can't do this on our own, which is why it's beautiful that Jesus talked about this. In the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus promised to his disciples, he says, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. He tells us, Jesus, from, the, from his, his own lips, he says to his early believers, he says, and the Father's going to send the counselor, the Holy Spirit, and he's going to teach you about all of these things. The question is, again, what are we living for? Are you living for the things in the natural realm? You just want the 401k to be bigger. Uh, you want the stock market to stop doing its roller coaster up and down, which uh, if I've learned anything from history, it's not going to stop doing that. You want the gas prices to go down you want your salary to go up you want your kids to act better You want uh, the little kids to be quieter uh, you want uh, your neighbors uh, to help you out more Uh, Whatever it is that you want in the natural realm those are things that you cannot control But what you can do is come under the control of the Holy Spirit and the work that Jesus is doing So what are you going to chase? in 1983 Uh, There was a a young man by the name of Steve Jobs, maybe you've heard of him, who was starting up a new computer company that people weren't so sure about yet. It was called Apple. Seemed to be a strange name for a computer company to begin with. But it was beginning to take off. It was about six years old. It was getting traction. They were doing a few things that were very, very smart of putting their computers in school classrooms all around the country and in libraries and in college lab, uh, computer labs. And so they were beginning to get a little bit of buzz. They were beginning to, to grow a little bit. And Steve Jobs took a leap. He approached a guy by the name of John Scully that at the time was the president of a, another company that maybe you've heard of, PepsiCo. You know, here was a global giant of a company. And then here was this little startup computer firm that uh, seemed like they were going to try to revolution every, revolutionize everything. Uh, John Scully had everything going for him. He was the president of one of the most well-respected companies on the planet, one of the most well-liked companies on the planet. Steve Jobs somehow got an interview with him, trying to convince him to come and to work, not as the president, mind you, but at work for Steve Jobs at Apple. And after they kind of wrestled back and forth for a while in their uh, discussion and in the interview... Uh, John Scully kept telling Steve Jobs how good he had it, how great of a company it was to work for PepsiCo. I mean, he was selling Pepsi and Mountain Dew, which, I mean, I don't believe in the demigods, but if I did, I would think that they had granted us Mountain Dew. (laughs) And finally, at the end of the, toward the end of the interview, the thing which turned Scully from thinking that he had it all at PepsiCo and that's just where he wanted to live out the rest of his life, to making the decision that he would leave one of the global giant corporations in order to go and work at Apple, which nobody was really sure whether this thing was going to work or not, was because of one question that Steve Jobs asked him. He looked at John and Steve said, Do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugared water or do you want a chance to change the world? Now, there's a lot of things that we chase after in the world that are just nothing more than bottled, sugared water. We get consumed by it, and and we get inundated by it, and we let it steal all of our affections. So do you want to just chase after the sugared water of the world, or do you want a chance to change the world? This is the opportunity laid before the believers in Christ. In Acts chapter 1, after Jesus' resurrection and right before He ascended back to heaven, He said in verse 8, But you, speaking to His disciples, will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. An unthinkable idea for these very localized, pedestrian kind of people. You're going to be my witnesses because the very Spirit of God is going to come upon you, not upon a king, not upon a prince, not upon a judge, not upon a prophet, upon you guys, tax collectors and fishermen. In Acts chapter 2, we see that they are filled with the Holy Spirit, that they speak in foreign tongues, and they supernaturally evangelize an entire city, and 4,000 people are saved. In Acts chapter 4, we are told that Simon Peter is filled with the Spirit of God and he preached the gospel in such a way that the enemies of the church had to admit that he preached with boldness that they could not overcome. In Acts chapter 4, toward the end of that chapter, it says that the believers came together and they prayed. And when they prayed, that the very place, the very physical home was shaken because the Holy Spirit filled them with such power. And then it said they went out and spoke God's Word with boldness. In Acts chapter 6, Verses 5 and 10, we're told about Stephen, who is recorded as a martyr for the church. He is stoned in this instance, but it says that he was filled with the Spirit, and his detractors could not withstand his speaking and his preaching because it had such spiritual power, so the only thing they could do was stone him to death. This is the witness of what the church receives when it receives the Spirit. And Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, and he says, And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through His Spirit who lives in you. The same Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead after having paid for the sins of all of humanity, all the billions upon billions of people who have ever lived, and the trillions and quadrillions and quintillions and septillions of of sins that have ever been committed by us, That Jesus has died for all of that and he has carried the weight of the wrath of God into the grave and the spirit of God is so Powerful it raises Jesus from the dead and Paul says that same spirit That raised Jesus from the dead after having suffered the wrath of God against sin of all mankind now lives in you And so this is why We can live under the anointing and the power and the active ministry of Jesus who is generous and focused on the salvation of the nations. We can live in the supernatural reality of the spiritual resurrection of Christ and your own spiritual resurrection today. So will you, with me, receive a new filling of the Holy Spirit? Do you want it? Is it something that you're ready for? I can tell you, you're not. I'm not. We're not. You're never ready for the filling of the Holy Spirit. It's going to wreck you, but it's going to wreck you in the very best way possible. It's going to reset your thinking. It's going to give you insight into the Word of God that you never had before. It's going to make you see the world through a different lens. It's going to cause you to let go of the stuff that you have white-knuckled for so long, thinking it would give you pleasure and thinking it would give you authority, thinking it would give you security. And you're going to let go of all of that stuff, and you're going to go on a crazy adventure of grace k- being a troublemaker for the gospel in the community and the world around us. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, he says, "...don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit." In this passage, it's not an option. This is a command for us to drink it in and be overflowing with the Spirit. It is for us to drink it in and be controlled by the Spirit of God because it is the place that we find joy and satisfaction. Our desire for a more fulfilling life or a church that suits our wishes or a job that is going to be the perfect you know, segue into wealth Or a a romantic relationship that's finally going to give us all of the pleasures of rainbows and daisies and and fairies dancing all around us. These are all the great deceptions that distract us from a sacrifice life for Christ's glory and for the salvation of the lost. So with that in mind, I want to ask you to do three things this morning. As you think about watching Jesus, joining Jesus and receiving the Spirit. Number one is reject the distractions of this world. If you were to recount 2018 in terms of the worries that you have carried with you, like heavy burdens. Anybody watch uh, 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 A Christmas Carol with George C. Scott? And you remember Marley coming in and visiting him at night and all of the chains that he had labored on and that he had carried for all of his life. And, 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 and Ebenezer Scrooge asks him, he said, well, what about my chains? And, he, and Marley tells him, he says, you have, you have made a large chain. It is a ponderous thing. Uh, the length and the weight is twice of what this was several Christmases ago. And you and I are carrying the weight of the chains and the shackles that we keep picking up that Jesus has freed us from. And so will you reject the distractions of the world, the worries and the cares of this world about what people think about you, about worrying about tomorrow, about worrying about security? There was never a promise of security or comfort for the believers but instead, we were to be the radicals and the revolutionaries. And if we find ourselves at a point where nobody can count us as the countercultural revolutionaries and radicals of the community, then we're not following Jesus very properly. Because our lives are always going to be different from the world and its, all of its priorities. So reject the distractions that the world wants to draw you back into a comfortable life where you never rock the boat of other people. You also are going to have to decide that you're going to repent of selfish living. I don't want you to think about what sins you're holding on to. I want you to think about what sins are holding on to you. Uh, We treat sin like it's a little terrier, that we can put it on a very small leash and we can lead it around our neighborhood and we can pet it and we can put it back in its crate whenever we're kind of tired of it. But that's not what sin is. Sin is a terrible beast that sinks its teeth into you that is not going to let you go. And you need the power of the Holy Spirit upon your life in order to be freed from sin. You are never going to break the bonds of sin on your life. So are you ready to repent? Are you ready to turn away from the power of sin and turn fully into the face of Christ that he will be your all in all? That whatever selfish living, whatever secret sin, whatever thing you have hidden from your spouse or your friends or from everybody you know or the thing that everybody knows about you, that you're just a functioning addict, uh, that you have got a mess of a life going on, that you've decided that you are okay going off the rails about these things, or if it's those things that are hidden in your life that maybe no other human being on the planet knows about. Are you ready to repent, turn away from the power of sin on your life, and once again just come under the power of Christ? And if you are, then, then this is the moment for you to request that the Spirit fill you. Paul, when he writes to the Ephesian church, and he says, be filled by the Spirit, he wasn't making a suggestion. He was offering a command. When Jesus spoke to the the disciples uh, before his ascension, he said, you will receive the Holy Spirit. This is not something that's going to be optional in your life that might come, might not come. This is something that is for the believer And so will you make the humble request and submission before God that you want the Spirit of God to fill you? Now, this does not mean that you're going to have an emotionally ecstatic experience. It might be. It could be an overwhelming experience in your life right now. It could be a sound, you know, absolutely just trouncing of sin in your life. It could be a moment of absolute freedom where you finally see clearly what God's will is for your life. It could be a sudden shift in your perspective that the people that are in your gaze day in and day out are not problems to get rid of, but they are people to become brothers and sisters in the faith by your faithful witnessing. It could be that the the, 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 the issues that you see suddenly become so small and petty in light of God's sovereignty and power and in light of God's mission. Will you reject the distractions, repent of the sins, and request that God's Spirit would fill you? That is the invitation that I make to you today. That as you think about 2018, ask yourself, what is it that I set my sail for? What is it that was the wind that blew me along? What is it that had control and sway over my life as to where I went? And do you want that to be different in the year ahead? But not just like October later on the year ahead. Is that something that you want it to be different right now? This is not a Later I'll get to it, and eventually this will happen. This is a right now kind of thing. That God the Father, through the salvation that He has granted to you by God the Son, deeply and utterly desires that you be filled with God the Spirit. So that all of us can be the people of God, on the mission of God, for the very glory of God.